ago and shared with me uh, what God was doing there. And uh, I told him it's going to be a long commute every Sunday. But uh, I don't know how, how they're going to do all that. But uh, we'll see how that works out. So one other announcement very quickly while you're turning in your Bibles. Uh, the Share the Blessing this year is something we've been doing now for about three years, I think, if I remember correctly. And looking forward to it, something that uh, was started uh, the first year in memory of uh, Brother Ron Casey. Brother Ron Casey, those of you that knew him, uh, would go out of his way, and he didn't make a whole lot about it. In fact, a lot of people never knew a lot of the stuff that Brother Ron Casey did to try to help people that were in need. And uh, so the, uh, when he passed away, uh, the church uh, tried to do something uh, to kind of honor his memory and uh, to continue some of the work that he had done in helping some families that were in need. And so we started doing this a few years ago for Thanksgiving, and then last year uh, we had so much come in in a church our size. This was pretty amazing, but we had so much come in that we were actually able to do uh, a basket for uh, Thanksgiving and then another basket for Christmas for some families that were in need. With that being said, uh, last Wednesday night, I think it was, we announced that we were going to have the ladies bring in uh, green beans and this week, and the men were going to bring in corn. And looking at it, it looks to me like the ladies might have a slight edge on the men so far. And I don't know why we have a full container of corn, and then we have another full container box, but not all the corn's there. So I'm not sure what happened there. Yes, sir? Better quality of corn. So we're, okay, so the men are in lead on based on quality, <clears throat> and the ladies, um, you know, quantity doesn't really matter as much as quality in these cases. But uh, I did uh, text Miss Linda Crump this week to tell her we were praying for her and her mom, and certainly continue to pray for her, if you will. And I have not gotten the new requirements for this coming Sunday, so what we'll do is go ahead and keep it the same since we didn't really announce it last Sunday. And that is we'll let the ladies bring in the green beans next Sunday, and uh, men can bring in some more corn, all right, some of that quality corn. And uh, we'll make it uh, look, even if we're behind next week, we'll build it up over here make it look like we're winning, okay? So, uh, but uh, do be in prayer about it. We have a good time with it as a church, but really it's all about reaching people. And last year we were able to give a presentation of the gospel to them and a Bible and uh, something that they could uh, have for their Thanksgiving meals. And so uh, pray that God will use it again this year. We're looking forward to uh, what God is going to do there. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that, I, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask for the next few moments that you'll help and you'll aid in preaching. Father, not help in hearing and listening and understanding and knowing the truth of this blessed book. Lord, our hearts rejoice that we have the opportunity and the privilege today to sit under the preaching of your word. But Father, we do not want it to return void, nor do we want it to be because of the lack of our faith or the lack of our yieldedness and desire to have your Holy Spirit move in our hearts as he would see fit. Father, I pray that you'll do a work that man cannot do this morning and that you'll draw our hearts closer to you. Help us to be instructed by your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We find here that Moses is coming to the children of Israel and giving God, uh, giving instruction to the people of Israel that God had wanted him to instruct them in. And as we get to the first part of chapter number 6, he refers to these things that God wants the people to know as God's commandments, God's statutes, and God's judgments. If you take time to uh, read Psalm 119, and I, I would urge you if you've never taken the time to sit and thoughtfully read through the longest chapter of our Bible, it's amazing how many times the Bible refers to in that chapter the Word of God being known as God's law or God's commandment or His statutes or His testimonies, and each of them having to do with a different part of God and who He is and what His Word and the purpose of His Word is to do in our hearts and in our lives. We find several things here in verse number 1 that it is called. And then as we go on down in the first, in the first verse that God has commanded to teach you, the Bible says in verse number 1. And who is the you that the Bible speaks of here in verse number 1? If we were to look at it in its context, Moses is teaching and he's speaking here that God is wanting him to teach it to you. And he's talking to who? The children of Israel, right? The nation of Israel. But can I tell you this? Or worked in the lives of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament many times is the same way that he views things and works in Not from God's attributes and God's way of looking at things and God's heart. And we can begin to see what His desire is. And in this passage, we find that God's desire was that the nation of Israel be taught in the commandments and the statutes and the testimonies of God, the judgments of God. And He says in verse number 2, "...that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes." And his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son. I won't take a lot of time on the first few verses, but just to lay a a groundwork here, I do want to say this, that there's a very important Bible principle found in verse number 2 that many times is glossed over and we don't look at as we read this passage of Scripture. And that is the idea that not only are we to know the Word of God and to study the Word of God and to know His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, but that we are to do them. 
And the book of James it deals very much with this concept of not being just a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word. And he refers to a man that is a hearer of the word and not a doer as the type of person that would go and behold his natural face in a glass or in a mirror and to see what manner of man he is and to straightway go and forget what manner of man he is. And the Bible here teaches this very clearly throughout its pages that a person that will hear the Word of God and maybe even know the Word of God but does not ever allow the Word of God to saturate his heart and his soul is a person that can see in the measuring stick of God's Word how we are falling short of God's standard. But he does nothing to try to fix it. And the truth of the matter is we ought not ever compare ourselves by our distance from the world We ought never compare ourselves by our our spirituality in comparison to other Christians. But the rule of thumb for every Christian that's sitting here today ought to be when we take our life and we lay it down alongside of God's Word and we say, how do I measure up to what God's Word says? The truth of the matter is when we do that, we will always find where we fall short. The Bible teaches very clearly that the law was given as a schoolmaster to show us our lack, our need, how we've fallen short of the glory of God. In verse number 2, it's very important to understand that God's heart, God's desire for the nation of Israel here is not just that they know these things. Because he told Moses, I want you to teach the nation of Israel this. And Moses comes to the people and says, I'm, I'm here because God wants me to teach you these things. But he said, not just so you'll know them. Verse number 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to, what's the next word here? Keep. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy sons, And thy son's son. Oh, that we would learn this concept. That the secret to doing the word of God in our lives is this. And it's very simple. That we have the fear of the Lord. Verse number two. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. Now, I'm not talking about being scared of him. But I am talking about us realizing who He is and having a fear and a respect for an Almighty God. This is not just some man's opinion, what he's getting ready to teach here, his commandments, his statutes, his judgment. This isn't just Solomon, the wisest man in the world, that's giving you his wisdom and saying, here's what I think man ought to do. But this is the God of the universe that created you and I. This is God Himself saying, these are the things that I want you to know, and not not only do I want you to know them, but I want you to keep them. And I want you to keep them because you know who I am. Oh, that we would fear God. We live in a society today that has completely forgotten this concept of fearing God. Even in our churches, we don't seem to have the respect and the reverence for God. We've lost it along the way. There are some that sit in this room this morning that can remember a day when church was a lot different, wasn't it? There was a great respect. Even unsaved people would have respect to the things of the Lord. We get to verse number 3 and he says this, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. 
It's amazing, and women know this probably better than men do, that we as humans many times, both men and women, men seem to have a bigger problem with it, have a tendency to hear things without listening, meaning that the sound comes in and we make a record of it and then push it somewhere back in our minds. The psalmist prayed a prayer to God one time, and he made this statement. He said, incline my heart to thy precepts. And what he was saying is, Lord, not only do I want to hear, and not only do I want to know your precepts, but I want my heart to be inclined toward it. I want there to be a desire in our heart. We've lost, and we, we hold in our hands, and maybe it's because of the fact that we have such easy access to it. But we have lost a yearning and a desire for God's Word in our life. The idea in Psalm 1 that the man that is blessed is a man that delights in the law of the Lord. Have you ever thought of that phrase? The delight of his heart is in God's Word. And in this law, because of his love for it, the Bible says in Psalm 1, in this law doth he meditate day and night. I know people that come to church every time the doors are open, they're faithful members of a church, and they dress right, and they talk right, and they look right, and they smell right, and they do all the things that you would think a Christian ought to do. And they come to church, and they bring a Bible, and maybe it's an old, even worn-out Bible, and they bring it to church, and they take it home, and they set it on a desk, And it stays there until the next time they go to church. And God says, I want the heart of my people to yearn for it. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land which floweth with milk and honey. Do we see the heart of the Lord? I was amazed this morning how often this happens. It seems like that Brother Keith chose songs that deals with the Bible stands like a mountain towering, far above the works of man. And then he sings the song, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. He didn't know what message I was preaching this morning. But isn't it just like God to kind of reinforce His word? We get to verse number 4, and I want you to see some things very clearly here. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, this is the first thing he's wanting them to learn. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You've got to understand that the nation of Israel now had been in a situation, both in Egypt and in their travels through the wilderness, of watching nations that had multiple gods and gods of every shape and kind for every purpose under the sun. In fact, even in Paul's day, there was a, a God that they had so many of that they were afraid they were going to miss one. And so they even had a God that was called the God of the unknown God. In, in case we just missed one along the way, we're going to even worship a God that we don't know what he represents, but it's whatever we've missed. And God comes to the nation of Israel. And I want you to see a couple of things here from this. And he says, the, know that the Lord our God is one Lord. There's not a lot of Him. There's not many of Him. There's not a lot of different gods. Now this is interesting to me in the fact that this gives the nation of Israel the idea or the mindset that God Himself, only one, the one true God, is the only one that has the right to be the Lord of them. The one that has the right to be their God and for him, for them to be His people. 
They did not have to pick and choose. It wasn't a smorgasbord. It wasn't an all-you-can-eat buffet of gods. As you go along the, the tray of life and you begin to pick, I'll take a little bit of this God and a little bit of that God and a little bit of that God. But God says, I come to you and I want the nation to know this. And by the way, in 2018, God still wants people to know this, that He is the one true and only God. And because of that truth, and this is why so many people in the world today deny the one true God. Because of that, He has every right to come to us and say, I'm the Lord of your life. Not me and some other God we're going to share. No, no. Only one. Only one. By the way, there's only one that they had to love too, isn't there? You ever try to divide your love up between a bunch of different things? Kind of hard to do, isn't it? But when you have one God that you can look to and say, Lord, I love you, makes a big difference, doesn't it? We get to verse number 5, and I want you to see this. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. What's the greatest commandment in Scripture, according to Jesus Christ? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Where do you think he got that from? Deuteronomy chapter 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, how much? All thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. There's only one. He says, I don't want you to share your love around to a bunch of different gods. There's only one of me. And therefore, I want all of your heart. I want the all of your soul to long after me, to love me. I want with all of your might to love. By the way, when was the last time we loved God? I know a lot of us say, well, we love Him with all of our heart. When was the last time we loved Him with all of our might? This is what God is telling Moses He wants to teach to the nation of Israel. And then He says this in verse number 7. Verse number 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. I want you to notice several things very quickly in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. As he states in verse 4 the, the idea that he is one Lord, I want you to begin looking with me in verse number 5. And when I pause, I want you to read the word with me, if you will. Beginning in verse number 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all Thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse number 7. And thou. Do you get the picture here? God is, or Moses is teaching what God wants to the nation of Israel. And he's saying the very first thing that you've got to do is you must have these truths nailed down in your life. I want you to teach the children and your son's sons. I want you to know that there's only one God. I want you to love God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. And and for us to get out here and do the work of God in a world that's that's lost and dying, uh, the very first thing a Christian must come to grips with is we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart. For if we do anything less than that, we are not able to be able to teach others the truth of this passage. 
the very first thing a Christian must come to grips with is he must be our God. My God. I've got to love him with all of my heart. With all of my soul. With all of my heart, uh, might. And then I've got to go and teach others. The very first thing God wants these people to realize is it's got to be in your heart first. There are a lot of people, and I was even raised in some colleges and went to some colleges and were taught, was taught that the very first priority is that we go. No, that's our second priority. Our first priority better be that we walk with God. Our first priority better be that He's my God. That I love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. And once that's done, then I can go and tell others about it. And by the way, have you ever met a used car salesman that truly believed that the car he was selling you was the car for you? You end up buying that one. You get a used car salesman out there and he's not really convinced in his own heart and in his own mind. You can tell. Can't you? You ever, you ever try to figure out what you need, you know, the, the, the original versus the counterfeit? Whether to get the better product or the lesser product? So many times a salesman will come along and they don't even believe it themselves, do they? I'm not saying we ought to equate ourselves as salesmen, but can I say this? We've got something far greater than any product anybody can buy. And that is the gift of eternal life. And we've got to have it in our hearts that we love God with all of our hearts first. Then I want you to know that once we get that established, look what, look what Moses says here. Verse number 7, And thou shalt teach them, what's the next word here? Diligently. Well, we have lost this word in the day and age that we live. I look at it even, you look at the society, the young people that we're raising today. I don't even know if they know the definition of the word diligently. Have you ever noticed that? There's not much that they do diligently. Uh, there, there are times when, when uh, we were little that we would be working on a project and I, I'd be hot and tired and, and maybe I'd just get out there and I'd just kind of give it a lick and a promise and oh, that's good enough. And Dad would come along behind me and he would make a statement to me, usually something like this, Greg, I want you to do it over again. And if I griped about it or complained about it, he would say, anything worth doing is worth doing. Oh, your dad said the same thing, huh? Worth doing right. What is he saying? Do it diligently. The Bible teaches that, doesn't it? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with a little bit of your might, some of your might. Give it a lick and a promise. It'll be good enough. What does it say? Do it with all thy might. Do it with all thy might. What's Moses saying here? He's saying, now once it's in your heart, You've got a responsibility to teach your children. And it ought to be done diligently. Every opportunity you find to make it a teaching moment, take advantage of it. Teach it firmly, authoritatively, correctly. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. I want you to notice this. Here's, here's the method that he gives for teaching. And thou shalt talk 
of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. So I'm supposed to talk to my children about this when I'm sitting in my house and when I go out of my house and when I lie down and when I rise up. Can we think of any other time in life other than those four things? So how often are we supposed to be talking to our children of these things? He said, Brother Greg, I don't, I don't, I don't know about all this teaching children thing. Can I tell you this? The Bible teaches in the New Testament that the elder women are to teach the younger women. The elder men are to teach the younger men. There's a responsibility that we have to take the, the thing that God wants us to learn, which we found here in first part of chapter number 6, and that is this, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to learn this. And then we're supposed to teach it. I was sitting in a, a session years ago as we were dealing with some things in our Christian school. I was sitting in a session that a man was teaching. He said, why do we have Christian education? Why do we have Sunday schools? What's our purpose? We bring young people in. Why do we have all the, the programs and the things that we do? Why are we doing that? And a lot of people began to give answers. Well, we want to teach them uh, the things they need to know from a Christian worldview. Well, we want to do this. We want to do that. He said that's not a good enough reason. He said the greatest reason we ought to be telling people and talking to people and teaching people these things is one reason only. And that is to develop in their heart a passion for God. It would kind of change the way we deal with people, wouldn't it? If the goal of our heart and our life was to tell that person of all the things that they ought to love God for. You go to a lost person, and if our goal is to develop a passion for God in their heart and their life, it's not going to be hard to lead them to the Lord, is it? To tell them what He did for them on Calvary. To tell them of their need of a Savior. It's not going to be hard to do that. I was talking to a dear friend of mine years ago. He's up in years now. In fact, his health is not doing real well, but his name is Wayne Corfman. And he made this statement. He said, Brother Greg, we don't ever, we're never embarrassed to talk about the people we love. He said, I wonder often why we don't talk more about God to people that are lost. Why do we not talk more about Him? Are we embarrassed? Are we ashamed? Paul made the statement, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Teaching people to have a love and a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice as we get to verse number 8, Moses says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and on thy gates. The children of Israel years ago began, and, and other religions followed.
type of a thing and something that was just done and it was a way to try to uh, ward off bad things from happening and that if you kept those things close by you that it would keep bad things from happening and they began a practice that was completely different from what God was intending. Because from the context of the passage, we find that the whole thing that God is dealing with here is that they love the Lord their God with all their heart. We get to verse number 8. He begins to tell the children of Israel this, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. Thou shalt be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. What was he saying? He was saying everywhere we go, everything that we do, every moment that we are awake and conscious, our hearts and our thoughts and our minds ought to be meditating on the things of God. That's hard to do in the world that we live in, isn't it? There's so many things today that vie for our, our, our attention and so many things in this world that cause us to, to have our attention spans quickly detracted. I mean, you've got television and radio, you've got internet, you've got billboards, and you can't even go down the road without your attention being drawn somewhere with something visually or something that we hear. Maybe that's why God said, be still and know that I am God. Maybe that's why God said when we go into our closets to pray. Maybe there ought to be times in our lives where we just put our hearts and our minds and our thoughts on God and begin to meditate on Him. And Moses said, after it's happened in your heart, now I want you to teach your children. I want you to teach them diligently. What do you want me to teach them, Moses? What does God want me to teach them? That I am God and I am one. And that they are to love me with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their might. We get so distracted, don't we, in this world? So often we go through life and we go from one day to the next. Don't raise your hands, but... How often have we made New Year's resolutions? Boy, I'm going to make my devotion life really good this year. I'm going to set time aside every day. And we do it for a while and then we miss a day. Next thing you know, we miss another day and then another. And then there gets to be a time where we just kind of get away from the Lord. It's just not as exciting as it used to be. We don't, we don't want to really go to church much anymore. We kind of go because we know we ought to and because our friends will miss us if we don't go. But we just don't seem to get as much out of it. And this may be the problem. There was a day when men of God, with the power of God, would write sermons and without even lifting their heads, would sit and read the sermon, word for word. Monotone, no expression. And God's power would move across the place. God would do a work of drawing men and women to Him. Not because the pastor was so exciting. Well, pastor just... The services are just not as exciting. The music, it just, 
you know, I wish we'd do more upbeat music or something. Folks, that's not what does the work. What does the work is when we walk through those doors, loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, and we sit down and God's Word begins to open up to us. And God's power surrounds this place. And He begins to do a work in the heart. It's been a long time since our country has seen some of this. It's been a long time in the history of mankind since we've seen some of this. Oh, there are pockets of it here and there. But wouldn't it be wonderful if it happened here at Keith the Heights Baptist Church? That God would stir in an unusual way. We need to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We need to be ready to teach others also, diligently. Instill them in the hearts of our young people. We're now tasting the fruit of three and now four generations of people who have put God on a back burner. They've not raised their children in church. They've not raised them to love God with all of their hearts. And we're seeing the results of it, aren't we? Years ago, I was sorting through a library that our school had, and it had a bunch of outdated books, and we were trying to just go through and bring in updated books and and sort through the stuff that we didn't need anymore. We had several hundred issues from the 70s and 80s of Time magazine. Back in the day, it was still not the most conservative magazine, but at least it was a little more conservative than they are today. I came across the cover of one. I wish I could have saved it and remembered which year it was, but I I don't remember the year or the issue that it was. But I remembered the cover. The cover caught my eye as we were sorting it through and putting it over here in a stack. And the cover was this. It said, The generation that forgot God. The generation that forgot God. And that was back in the 70s or 80s. And here we are in 2018. I wonder what would be said of our generation today if that same author of that article was writing. More importantly, I wonder what would be said of that generation today if God came here and said, this is a generation that has forgotten God. Whose fault is it? God told the nation of Israel, I want you to learn this first. And then once you've learned it, I want you to teach it to your sons and to your sons' sons. You say, well, Brother Greg, my kids are all grown and out of the home. What about your grandkids? Well, that's between them and their parents, not according to Scripture. Are we teaching them? Are we teaching them? Several things I would ask you this morning. Number one, are we at the point where we've agreed to it ourselves that He is our God? That not only do I know it, but I love Him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might. 
Is there, has there been a time in our life, in our Christian life, that we can look back and say, boy, there was a time I loved him a lot more than I do now. I sure want to get back there. And I tell you, you can get that matter settled today. He's right where you left him. He hasn't moved. And you may say, well, I've raised some kids and I've had good intentions, but I really haven't shown them, I really haven't taught them to love God. We can get that matter settled today too, can't we? And then when it comes to a lost and dying world, Brother Hiltabittle on Wednesday night was expressing the urgency the idea that those that are lost are going to go off into a Christless eternity. And I wonder, are we doing all that we should to reach the lost? And the truth of the matter is, I get done with every day. There's hardly a day goes by that I wonder, could I have done some more? The other day we had a I have an interest in aviation, but we had a plane crash right out here in Festus. A couple fellas passed away in the crash. One of my first thoughts was how in the world did they crash it and was interested in some of the facts of it. But it wasn't probably 10 or 15 minutes after I heard the news. I was sitting in my office, and I wondered, were they saved I'm a little embarrassed to tell you it took that long for it to dawn on me, but I wonder if we could ever live with such a heart that we begin to know things from light of eternity and look at the lost and say, I wonder, are they saved? For those people that we pass today, the waitresses, the people that we drive by, our neighbors that we live next door to, they're going to spend an eternity somewhere. And I wonder if what we've read this morning would cause our hearts and our minds to say, I hope they're saved and I want to do everything I can to show them that need. I wonder if we're doing the best that we can. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Just a few simple thoughts. But Lord, a very powerful and a lot of truth in these passages. I pray that you'd help us to love you with all of our hearts. With all of our soul and with all of our might. Father, that could be the reason we're not more concerned. That could be the reason we've neglected the responsibility of rearing a generation after us that loves you. That could be the reason why we really haven't been overly concerned with sharing the gospel with others. Perhaps because it's not been solidified in our own hearts that we love you with all of our heart, with all of our minds, with all of our soul. So Father, I pray you'll bless the invitation this morning been a very simple message, but Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts. Help us to look into our own hearts, our own minds, and ask that question.
And Lord, if we come up wanting, I pray that you'd help us to get that situation settled today. That we would be drawn near to you, that we would give our hearts completely and wholly to you once again. If there's someone here this morning that does not know if they died right now that they would go to heaven, I pray that you would help them to see that need. To know that you loved them, that you died on a cross in their place for their sin. That you're willing to give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. You're willing to save them from their sins. Father, I pray that that would take place this morning. If there's anyone here that does not know that they're saved. For Christians that are here, Lord, I pray that you'll revive our hearts. Speak to us fresh and anew. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ted's bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have the piano.